This project is an honest and in-depth perspective of and from former students of Milton Hershey School. We call ourselves MILTS. An organic, open discussion of life before, during, and after attending MHS. I remember the first day I went to school, I had a black eye and a fat lip. There's so many people with so many different stories, you know, and I feel like one of the things I'd really like to talk about is how did you feel when it was all over, said and done with, and they put you out? Milk's podcast. You good? Yeah, man. So, wait, yeah, where where are you guys at? What? Tell me the layout where you guys are. What's going on? So we're in Philly, and we're in this old pier that they converted into artist studios. Um, and they put in a bunch of shipping containers into this uh, pier, and they rented, you know, I don't know, twenty to thirty of them out to different kind of artists, photographers, painters. Um, you know, visual, all different kind of artists. And so uh, one of my people's, Dame, who you've met over the years, he's got uh, a project called Tiny Room for Elephants where he he um, showcases and curates, um, showcases artists, different types of artists um, in the area and, and, and they curate all kinds of stuff. So he, he was gracious enough to let us use his studio. So we down here, it's me, Warner, Agoe, our boy Justin, who's producing the podcast, and uh, we wanted to get you on. So, whenever you're ready, I'm gonna get started. Dude, I'm good. I'm All good. Right. You know, whatever right. you need to do. So, welcome. <laughs> it's hard to keep a straight face with you. Welcome back, everybody. We're at the Milt's podcast uh, here in Philadelphia, and this is our fourth guest, our brother, our family. This is Sean Allen Rector from the class of 1989. Welcome, Sean. Well, hello, Jackie Stroman. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for those of you funny. out there who don't know, uh, Rec, as I like to call him, is my former roommate and one of my best friends from Milton Hershey School. Um, so we go way back. So the, the, the tone of this whole interview might go a little bit differently. Um, so, Rec, we, we wanted to have you on. This is about talking to different Milts and staff and families and people who experienced the Milton Hershey School or had the Milton Hershey School experience, rather, um, and how it affected them and, and what you're up to now. And, you know, we just want to talk about all of that with you. Uh, so, like I said, you were from the class of 89. Could you tell us, do you remember when you first went to the Milt? Okay, so um, I came to Milton Hershey. Um, and, by the way, for the listeners, whether you're editors or not, uh, what you're hearing is a code-switching um, <laughs> environment in which <laughs> uh, some comfortable friends, i.e. Uh, brothers, will code-switch and enunciate a lot of our words <laughs> because if this was not rolling, there'd be a oh, lot of man. this, that, ain't, and sinners. Yeah, a lot of cursing. And, and a lot of cuss words. <laughs> I digress. Um, so, yeah, 85... October, over the summer, Mom Dukes tell me, yo, let's, um, is this school? I'm going to try to get you in. I wasn't really trying to hear it because, you know, when you're in middle school, your friends are set, mm -hmm. your neighborhood is set, you're good. I didn't really think about it. Then we went out and took the test, drove out to Milton Hershey. My uncle drove us out. The whole time I'm thinking, like, yo, where are we going? This is mad far from New York. The whole nine yards. Didn't think nothing of it. Saw a lot of white people. Got really scared and um, <laughs> and anxious. Cause I was like, "What? What are we doing? Yeah. Where's this? Blah blah blah." I thought y'all left. Right, right. What's really going on with this with this so-called uh, trip? 
So then we come back. I forget all about it. I'm getting ready to come back. Back in the day, junior high and middle school was 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And then you went on to high school as a 10th grader. So I was getting ready to go in uh, last year. And then um, I started school in September. And then Milton Hershey called and said I was accepted. My mother said, yo, you, we got to leave. You got to be going in October. So I was really sad, wasn't trying to go. It was, it was a lot going on drama-wise. I reluctantly came out. So I believe it was, I want to say October 5th, 1985. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so because I know your story so well, I know that uh, you were really only in one student home, which is rare for a milk. A lot of times people moved around, whether they were going from one division to the other or what have you. But you went to, to Southfield and your house parents were the battles. And that was probably one of the best things for you because uh, I know you and Mr. Well, really, you and Miss Battles had a really tight connection. Yeah, so coming to Milton Hershey, I was in Southfield, didn't really know student homes and what was what. But when I got there, the Battles were this old white couple. They looked like Quakers to me. Like, she straight up looked like the dude on the uh, oatmeal box, for real, (laughs) because her hair was coiffed out a little more. I was like, yo, this is real weird. But I get there, and immediately I'm met by Mr. Battles and his uh, paternalistic energy. Now, for those of us that didn't have fathers, especially in the black community, not having a father meant no man could check you unless it was your daddy or unless it was an uncle or a male you were familiar with. So I immediately um, had issues with Mr. Battles because of his... uh, is a paternalistic energy coming toward me. Um, it caused us the second week I was there, we, and I wouldn't call it a fight or whatever, but like, he, I think he tried to grab me and then I slapped his hand and it got real, uh, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> At that moment, you know, 1985, coming out of Harlem, I was like, I already felt. Not having it. Right, not having it and all of that. So, um, it, it got so much to be an issue that you know they almost kicked me out so they had to have a, a phone conference they called my mom they called mr cash and a few other um what were they called those guys home home, home life home life home dude. life yep which home were the people life, who come out and and deal with you when they had there was some kind of issue we just had mr weller on and he was part of home life and he was saying it was a difficult situation for him because nobody would be happy the kid would the kids would be un, unhappy or the house parents would be unhappy, but so he would walk away from the situation and somebody would be unhappy. But so what what happened with your situation at the So so yeah, home life. So it actually was Mr. Weller and Mr. Cash. It was like a whole bunch of people. I didn't realize why so many people came out. But I guess I I really went AWOL. I must they must have been like, This nigga crazy. You know, 'cause I, <laughs> I I went all the way in, um, and it was like real ugly. And then my mother, she was on the phone, and she was like, yo, um, then Mr. Cash pulled me to the side. And I remember I, they asked me, what did I tell Mr. Battles? And I said, um, what did I say? I said, um, this bald-head motherfucker better let me go. <laughs> right. And I said it verbatim. And then Mr. <laughs> Cash pulled me in the room <laughs> and said something like, well, if you don't get your act together, this bald head motherfucker is going to whoop your ass. <laughs> Welcome to Milton Hershey right? School. <laughs> right. 
Because we so don't then, play them games up here. Yeah, pulled me in the room. So I was like, okay, well then, then it's going to be some whooping ass situation. We're just all going to be rumbling out here. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to be a situation. Then whatever it is. So I was like, all right, whatever. And then they, they, they said, all right. So they let me speak to my mother. And my mom, she was crying like, yo, give it a chance. Boom, 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 you know, the situation mm-hmm. at home, blah, blah, blah. Lazy skipped. Then after I get off the phone, I'm like, all right, let me humble myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it all worked out, you know, after that phone call. And I think after they understood, because you got to remember, a lot of y'all milks were already weaned in to the milk nursery system through elementary, mm-hmm. middle school. You get a fresh kid either from, from New York or Philly or any inner city and mm-hmm. throw them in that situation. It's just not going to necessarily meld right away. No, it's so going to be a unfortunately beef and for me. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> well, well, look. I, so here's my thing, Rec. You and I go way back, and I'm here with a Goey and Warner, who both know you really well, um, too. So I'm gonna jump around a little bit. What I want to talk about uh, first, and then I'm gonna get off and let the guys come on and talk to you a little bit. Is you know, we we just had homecoming recently. We went up, and you know, you and I talked about. So a lot of people don't know. Sean Rector was on this show called Survivor which was a reality show. And it was really cool for uh, people who know you because, it, you know, when you see somebody you know on TV, you get that connection and there's this excitement. And, uh, you know, people already love Rec because he's so funny. But I know you were real frustrated up at homecoming because so many people coming up to you talking about, what do you mean you can't swim? We had to swim at the mill. Or why are you telling people that you, you're, you're, from, you're from Harlem, New York, when you're from Hershey? And you like, yeah, but I didn't. I wasn't born at Hershey. You know what I'm saying, or like, you wasn't in the pool with me when I did barely passed the test for swimming. So it was a frustrating right. situation for you being, you know, all those people trying to connect with you with the TV thing. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what that's been like since you've been on the show and and and, and the connection with the Milts? So go back a little bit um, to, to the show coming out to LA to pursue my acting career. It's a very lonely trek to try to become an actor, a successful actor in Hollywood, because mm-hmm. only your close people will know some of the day-to-day, but no one really cares about you until you so-called make it. Yeah. So it's not until people can claim something to you that all of a sudden here comes people who say they support So the, the road to becoming an actor, any milk for listening mm-hmm. and want to come out to L.A. or what, mm-hmm. it is a lonely road with a lot of um, rejection. So you have to have tough skin, which is something Milton Hershey prepared me for, plus my upbringing with my moms in Harlem. I, I was built to hear no and keep it pushing. So mm-hmm. that said, when Survivor hit, I was teaching in South Central L.A. One of my students had uh, dared me to do this show. I never heard of it, but I was always teaching black and brown students about our struggles as non-white in this country, whether it be through the Middle Passage or through the immigration programs of the 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. uh, so forth and so on, she brings me this, uh, one of my students brings me this whole package of survivors. I said, all right, I'll send it in. Lo and behold, they called me in the preliminary process out of thousands of people. Now, the actor in me thought, oh, this would be a good gig to get on. I didn't know it was real. I thought it was fake. Well, and um, as I go through the process, my boy who was doing a documentary on my life he was doing not just for me. He was doing a documentary on three, uh, a black male, a white male, and a, and a Latino male, all who grew up without fathers. So he wanted to see the perspective of each 
person growing up without a father. So I asked him for some of the footage and edited it to send in to CBS. Mm-hmm. Once they selected me for that, I went through the whole process. Months later, I was selected to be one of the finalists. I couldn't tell anybody. I only told my girlfriend, my, my principal, and my mom. Then I went on this excursion for like three months. I was gone. couldn't tell my students. And so the, the real experience of Survivor was very traumatic to the point where CBS had to pay for um, um, some, some psychologists for us, some high-profile mm-hmm. psychologists to help us because we had a form of PTSD based on the experience because it was very traumatic. Yeah, that said, when I, when I came back, um, we had about a month before the show actually aired. But I was still kind of in PTSD mood trying to figure out what did I just do because there was no food, no water. Plus, I ha- I lasted almost to the end, almost mm-hmm. one, which meant I was on there a lot longer under the conditions. So by the time it started to air, the world, my friends and family, everyone was excited, but I still was in a different zone. I was still trying to figure out what did I just do, right. what happened. So while everyone is watching an edited TV show, I'm kind of going through my own emotions because people are now looking at me and the show through a celebritized view, right. and no one is really asking me or checking on me to be like, yo, son, you good? Yeah. What happened? Whatever. So that I kind of shut down and wasn't really, you know, really communicating like that because I had to get myself through. Mm-hmm. So the show aired. Um, the ratings were off the chain. It was the first and only season that was... Uh, 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 filmed in Central Park. The finales are usually done on the CBS lot, either in New York or mm-hmm. Cali. This one was done in Central Park. It was actually the introduction of uh, President 45 because Mark Burnett, the producer, was introducing the uh, a new show called The Apprentice. Right. So they brought Donald <laughs> Trump on. Rosie O'Donnell hosted our finale. That's never happened. So my season was a pretty pretty pivotal season. In that, there were a lot of firsts. Now, mind you, a lot of milk, uh, some who were close and who I knew, and some I didn't know who the hell they were, were, were had comments one way or another. And it was intriguing because I couldn't really respond. I just would sit back and listen to that, how people didn't realize what a, an edited reality show does and that, to a person. That, that's the key is the editing. A lot of people don't know how to, how to, the entertainment, especially TV and film work. Um, so, you know, like you said, the ones that didn't know you from the mill had, you know, that's, that was their way of knowing you. So, right, I, um, right. but I, listen, right. I don't want to get lost on survivor because that, you know, it's just one part of, of the whole, whole thing with you. And, and I, I just kind of, you know, you always joke with me. You always say I'm like your agent because I, I talk about stuff that, people don't know about and I just you know while we got the microphone I wanted to talk about Sean Rector as the teacher Sean Rector who started the Boys to Men Foundation and um you know some of the stuff that you've been doing off camera that people don't really care about um can you tell us about how long you've been teaching um and tell us a little bit about the foundation all right so in the midst of doing the whole survivor thing and doing different tv shows I was still teaching uh, in South Central L.A., right in the middle of the community, literally around the corner from where um, Reginald Denny, the uh, truck driver during the L.A. Uh, uprising, mm-hmm. was pulled out of his truck. So just to let you know the environment I was in, 
Um, but I was uh, the head basketball coach and was starting to get a name because, you know, well, my teams were winning. You know, we were – plus I was doing some unorthodox middle school things in coaching, like making the boys wear suits. They had to say yes or no, sir. We would go to these tournaments, and, you know, we were the only black and Latino team. Um, it, was a, it was a lot that I was dealing with personally because I'm a dude from New York in the middle of South Central, right in the middle of the East Coast, West Coast beef, where people could tell I was from the East Coast, and it was a lot of that street energy coming at me while I was teaching. So there was a lot going on with that. After I did Survivor, you know, I asked God what's next, and he put on my heart to continue coaching, but to do something for these boys. All came from different gangs, so I created this uh, Boys to Men program, the like uh, Rights of Passage program that allowed boys to have a different Rights of Passage that wasn't gang-related or sports-related necessarily. And so the boys learned culture, and they had to do a series of Rights of Passage to pass at the end of the year, and then we always had a ceremony. And that grew into the Time Foundation which uh, stands for Teaching Young Men Excellence. Mm -hmm. I turned that into a nonprofit. A partner of mine joined up about two, three years later. And then we just started doing some big things in South Central. We started to be acknowledged by the mayor, different things. And, um, you know, I just decided to to do that, and my acting started to fall by the wayside, partly because the roles weren't there and it was some of the same stereotypical stuff. And then, then more importantly... um, um, there was a strike that people don't know of. There was a, an actor's and a writer's strike um, for like a year or two. Um, so the, the business had, had a lull. And, you know, because so many try, people try to do this, it was, it was kind of a, a lull for me as well. So, yeah, that's what I was doing. But let me just t- tell you this real quick, Jack. One thing that disappointed me still to this day is that Mill Mercy never called me back to speak to um, the, kids. the students or to speak to anyone about what I experienced. And yet, through these years, I've seen them call many people back to speak on their experience. And I'm not saying that that's what I want to do now. I'm just speaking retrospectively. While I had 50 million viewers and people all over the country knowing who I was, um, even to the point where I was getting death threats. People don't know, like, this racial climate Mm -hmm. has always existed. So I was getting death threats. I was getting called the N-word. This is before social media. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought, wow, it's crazy that um, I always represented Milton Hershey. You know, in interviews, people know I went to Milton Hershey. But the school never reached out to me to say anything, even congratulations or we see you or nothing. So that, to me, to this day, is disappointing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And, you know, we just had this conversation with Mr. Weller about, obviously, somebody dropped the ball. But I and, I, and I'll say this, a couple things. One, you know, before Pete Girt got in there, back when you were still in school, they had, there was a president at the school who just didn't have that connection with old Milts. Yeah, they, they just didn't want it. And and that's that's the one thing. And, and the other thing is, I've, I could be wrong, you know what I'm saying? But from what I see, a lot of the people that are going back up to the milk that are talking to the kids are reaching out to the milk. So I feel like hopefully they'll hear this and they can start being more proactive with some of the people, like, you know, like yourself or, you know, um, 
Gary Gilliam, I've been seeing him come back a lot. He's the kid who was in uh, who was in the NFL and all that. But they they definitely dropped the ball and missed one with you. You know, you've represented the Milt uh, very well over the years, and and that's why I wanted to showcase some of the things that you've been doing. Um, you know, out there in California, other than the TV and film stuff. Uh, but now I'm going to pass the microphone on to Warner and to Goey. They're going to talk to you a little bit more about your milled experience. And um, we're, we're going to take a quick break. Man, you Negroes are official. <laughs> stupid, yeah. <laughs> Woo. We're not niggas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's way out black. <laughs> Wow. What's good, Rack, man? How you? I'm good, man. Just trying to figure this shit out here, man. It's just a it's a this a different dimension out here on the West Coast. I can I can only imagine, man. I can only mm-hmm. imagine. Um so we're going through we uh again, and I know Jack already said it, but what we're trying to do is the <laughs> stories that, you know, people don't know or don't hear. Yeah, because that's right. It's a serious moment. It don't matter what's going on. Till it's 60. Actually, it's going to be later than that now. We're getting close to 60. So, um, uh, so, like you were saying, like you were um, disappointed because no one reached out to you to hear your story. Well, that's what this is all about. You know what I mean? And this is why we wanted you to be one of the first ones that we uh, had a conversation with because we want to hear all those stories, man. Like, we want to know why Rec did, like you said, like why you um, made the Boys to Men Foundation, um, why you pursued acting and then, you know, fall, fell back off um, on pursuing that um, and all that stuff, like and how you felt when you were on Survivor in after Survivor and like being that the Survivor was such a big show and you having to, you know, keep your mouth shut about it like that that's crazy and i can understand the ptsd and all that other stuff so what we're gonna do is we're gonna bring it back to the milk though but just so you know like this is what the podcast is about hearing your story hearing everybody's story that we can uh have conversations with so back to the milk um <laughs> you said your first <laughs> yeah i was got in a fight with mr battle tell us tell the people how you're relationship with the battles um progressed after that first conversation or that first uh phone call back to your mom so um and back to uh, i'm loving hearing y'all brothers enunciate <laughs> brothers is on the a game i'm loving it so uh sean rector here uh just want to tell you um so <laughs> um so oh, yeah, but the, so the battle, Mrs. Battle, is really was really the catalyst that changed that whole thing around, because she was able to love me and love all of us in a way to kind of settle certain energies in the house. Because you figure you have a house with sixteen boys mm-hmm. and a, and, a, and a man, her husband. That's a lot of testosterone in one space. Indeed. So you need. A mother, a motherly energy, or you need a, a, a feminine energy to balance that, and she did that. Mm. Um, moving forward, because at Southfield, you know, I didn't realize it was one of the uh, 
sought after student homes that people wanted to be at. I just happened to be there. Mm -hmm. But it also was a place where I was a freshman with a bunch of crazy seniors. Mm -hmm. And anybody who knows anything about Mercy knows there's this unspoken uh, rite of passage that some would call hazing, others would call just friendly, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but it, it's kind of a, a, a friendly uh, welcoming committee. Mm -hmm. Right, there you go. Initiation with the welcoming committee. So with, you know, I had uh, Tony Matos, Rich Troisi, mm -hmm. Butch Eiffel, Mike Schultz. Um, I'm, I think I'm forgetting somebody. I know I am. But anyway, um, dudes was a little crazy, man. They, mm -hmm. they, was, they were wilding out, man. They were having us freshmen do all kinds of wild stuff. Um, and I think in my freshman year, it was Romero Alvarez, Matt Gideon. Um, uh, I can't remember who else, but we were sent on many a mission, um, including hooking out when we didn't want to. <laughs> I'm glad I could say that 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, what, but, um, what is hooking out, Rick? So hooking out would be late night, um, uh, going to the to usually a girl student home, you would presume. I don't know what people were into, but um, you go to a girl student home late at night after lights were out and you were supposed to be in bed. Right. So the house parents would go to sleep and you would usually get a tap on your shoulder by some upperclassman like, yo, get your clothes on, we got to go. And you're like, what? Huh? Like, what? So then you go and hook out uh, running across acres of land uh, with the... In my mind, I always heard the roots theme. I felt like Kunta Kinte running across the, the, this large landmass to get some ass that I was never going to get. Like, I'm like, what am I doing running across? But anyway, we do that. You go, you hook out. You usually were sent on this expedition to be the lookout or the person holding a door, or some craziness. <laughs> but we did that a couple of times. Um, but, you know, then there was other stuff in Barn where you were given the worst chores in Barn. Mm -hmm. You know, back then we had to milk cows and mill hay and straw. Um, sometimes they would do weird stuff like throw crap on you or, like, just student home life for boys was always something crazy going on with, with boys doing weird stuff. Always extra. So, always extra. Um, so that eventually made No Hershey fun. Mm -hmm. And then I remember, ultimately what made my transition smooth was a girl. It usually takes a girl mm. to make everything make all right. So there was a girl there named uh, Tanika Crestfield. Mm. And um, she was mad pretty. I used to hear everybody talking about her. I really didn't know who she was until I saw her. And I was like, man. She's fine, mm. yeah. but still they fine. was like, yeah, but, yeah, still. <laughs> they stay in Milton Hershey. <laughs> um, so I'm like, damn, but they was like, yo, she's, um, she goes out with, um, with, with the boy Sporty, who was a senior, mm -hmm. who was a senior cat. So I was like, man, I ain't trying to come up here and get fucked up. Mm. I'm already trying to adjust. I'm not trying to deal with no upperclassmen and get in the middle of no drama. You know what I mean? And um, short story long, she wrote me a little note in church on one of the church programs, like, yo, I like you, you're cute, you know, all of that. I was like, yo. And then we met somewhere behind Founders Hall 
And uh, I think that was my first New Orleans kiss. Mm. I was like, wow. Mm. So the next time my mother called me that following Monday, like, hey, baby, uh, is it getting better? I was like, you know what, Ma, I think it's going to work out. <laughs> um, you know what, this school is all right. <laughs> but I had to make it. I had to make it seem like it was the academics. She was like, really? Like, what happened? Hold on, gentlemen. I got a got to transition real quick. Okay. Here, hold on one second. Here, here's the keys. All right. I'll see you when I get back. I'm in the All right. Um, and so my mom was like, yo, what, so what, what changed? I was like, no, nah, my, you know, I was just thinking that academics are really important. And I, I can oh, get a better education out here. Uh, no, I, uh, I believe I can hang out with you fellas. For a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I, you know what? I can get used to this. <laughs> it was one of those definitely Billy Ray moments, but it was really Tamika and the girl. Right. And um, that transition allowed me to then play basketball and get to meet friends and just kind of adjust. And Milton Hershey's an adjusting period which it would have been great if we had like a diversity counselor or basically somebody black mm -hmm. to help transition black kids uh, because it was just a whole bunch of white men and white people trying to wean you. Mm -hmm. And the images of slavery, if you knew that story, mm -hmm. and Noah always evoked in me, like it always was a feeling, even on... A, when you say something like this, white people don't get it because they always think that our our explanation or our bringing up our past is an indictment on them personally. It's like, no, we have, um, it's in our DNA memory. So sometimes when we are accosted by the police or being followed, or even when it's a friendly gesture, sometimes our anxiety don't know, we're like, yo, what is this about? So looking back, it would have probably been great and the mill had Osbia Jones and maybe a few others, but I just think if, if, if you know, there's a lot more black kids now, so I don't know what they're doing, but it, I think it would have helped in that situation. Okay. I agree with that. There wasn't much by way of uh, staff that were, that looked like us. Um, there was a couple. And once you got the senior division, um, you saw a little bit more, you know, with Mr. Galloway, Mr. Webster, Mr. Prince. Uh, like you said, Mr. Jones, uh, the cases, but it was few and far between. So that is a very important aspect because, uh, and I do think that they've addressed it uh, uh, a little more than when we were there. Um, but yes, it was very underrepresented with, um, and not just uh, brown people, you know, with, uh, there was not that many Latinos. Uh, there weren't many Asians. Um, you know, there wasn't any, um, uh, Pacific Asians either you know what I mean so um, that's that's very important and so one thing that the milk did have is a lot of those students though so even though you didn't have that representation in um, you know home life or staff you did at least get to see other people that look like you you know yeah I think to your point uh, Black that that's why our friendships are what they are because I think we had no choice but to rely on each other right. to get through. And I think um, this is why through each class, whether it's a goalies class, 87, mine, 89, you guys, 90, Money, Kevin Bright, Herman, all of those guys in the 90s, 
we were able to weave that thread through the generations because there's a certain cultural understanding that we we kind of passed on to each other and mm-hmm. wove and kept it in the next generation by default. Right. Um, I think sometimes people would look at it like and wonder why seemingly all the black kids were hanging out. It was like, that happens no matter where you go, mm-hmm. where black kids are kind of marginalized or there's a few of them, you just kind of naturally band together. We just happened to bond on another level, all of us, because we all probably had a weird sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you put us in Milton Hershey that had specific uh, uh, surroundings and rules and regulations and people, then it, it just kind of made our situation blue even more. Right. But you're right. You're right. The relationships are important. Uh, speaking well, of other black people that you know, <laughs> speaking of right, who may be blacker, <laughs> right. I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna put a go on. It's always good to hear your voice, Rack. Uh, you too, black. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to last longer. I hate that you had to leave. Had to leave, man. God, it, whatever, dude. It's almost like you know, it, it doesn't matter how much time is space uh, b- between us. You know what I mean? We go right back to. Laughing and mom jokes and all that. So, <laughs> all right, hold on. All right, man. Rec, I'm on. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, man. All right, so <laughs> I don't got to tell you who I am, but everybody else should probably know if they don't. Go Young Bima, class of '87, <laughs> on with my man Rec. And so, Rec, I'm gonna give you a couple props real quick, and then we're gonna be done with building you up. Um, so. First cat I ever saw with a pair of Air Jordans, Sean Rector. And I said, who is this little short, loud mouth, little MF and, and, and with all that? With these Jordans on? Like, you know, I, I was getting like $30 for a pair of sneaks. This cat come from Harlem with a pair of Jordans. I said, and then he loud. Who is this cat? And don't mess with him because he could bust real good. I still remember that, John. We was on the track bus. We ain't going to name names, but I thought it was going to be a real fight. And we're not going to name no names, but the whole bus laughed for about 20 miles till we got back to Milton Hershey. And that's when we had them big, comfortable buses, not these yellow buses they got now, whatever they doing. We had the real, the brown and gold machines that would show up and everybody get frightened when we go, oh, the black kids are coming out. From Milton Hershey, they're about, they're about to re- release them out of there. Remember them buses we had, Rhett? <laughs> Yo, that's funny. You just took me back today. Um, first of all, hearing your books with mad bass sound like you know you fucked up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's it. A- it's not like. <laughs> Like, is this Bill Duke or Goey? I just yeah. feel like, you know you fucked up, right? You know you just fucked up, right? You bought the bottle you know of beer at 11 o'clock, right? right? So what happened? You bought the bottle of beer. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Your shit got mad face. Same. It's funny, Goey. You got the same voice from 30 years ago. Like, your shit just, yeah, on Bima. Yeah. <laughs> Goey. E.D. I mean. Nah, but, um... Yo, the thing is, man, it's funny because I came to Milton Hershey with the same personality that got me in trouble when I was in the city, which was always cracking jokes, um, but stylish. Absolutely. Like, Mom Dukes was, you know, 70s 
single parent mothers, man, shout out to the single, especially the black single parent mothers who work hard trying to lace their kids. And I don't mean on some ghetto craziness, but I mean, we were raised in a situation where you dress nice, you had manners, you look, you always got a haircut, you just always look representable. I just happened to be raised in Harlem, which is a fashion, it was one of the fashion capitals of the world, if not the black mecca. So when you grow up in that environment, being stylish is just part of who you are, especially growing up 10 blocks from Dapper Dan, right. um, the same streets that um, Eric B. and Rakim, especially during that era of hip-hop. New York is a city where dressing fly is just part of the norm. So I think I brought that to Milton Hershey by default. I wasn't really trying to show nobody up or try to, you know, be, you know, somebody I'm not. I was just being myself. I just didn't realize that Milton Hershey was so rigid and, um, you know, that folks, you know, you can try to step outside the boundaries would be either frowned upon or look or inspiring. I, I didn't realize either. Yeah, well, trust me. I I didn't come with the Jordans. and I had some Adidas top tens and they made me just wear them for play clothes. And we, I told this story earlier about me and Ralph with our green and purple corduroys that we got from the from the clothing room because they sent all my clothes home. So some, according to what student home you were in, your house parents were a little bit more lenient. My house parents were not. They were not going for that uh, devil's jeans and Jordache, whatever I was bringing up there thinking I was fly. They, that went right back home. And I got the status quo green mm. corduroys. Good point. That's a good thing. So, you know, so when I, like I said, when I saw that, I was like, man, look at this young boy. He's killing the game with some Jordans, you know. But let's, let's, let's fast forward because I got so many things and I'm, I'm kind of running out of, of, of time though, Rick, because we could, we, I know you and I could go back and forth for, for a long time. But I just want to fast forward. Huh? Oh, for sure. So fast forward. It's like, I don't know, it's 15 years ago in Harlem. I'm at a funeral. One of my friends is people's past. So I go to the funeral and, you know, I'm in Harlem. I ain't really think, only, only really thing I'm trying to do is go to Gold Crust when it's over and get me some patties so I can bring back the Philly. That's where my head is at, 125th Street. I know where it's, the spot is at. I'm going there. So I sit in the seat next to this cat and... Like it's tight, so I'm like, yo, excuse me, brother. Like, we we sat there. I sat there for like ten minutes and looked to the right. It's you. Now, how, who was? How did you feel about that? Like, I'm just saying because I know what my experience was. What did you think? So it's crazy because there weren't really any milk from Harlem. You know, like I was like either one of the first visits or or the first. So I wasn't really used to seeing. Like, my whole world of New York City, Harlem, I compartmentalized from Milton Hershey. Sure. So immediately when you see a Milt, your mind, you can't help but turn into Milton Hershey. You turn into a Milt instantly. Right. And then when it's one of your big bros, like, you guys are the reason I was able to make it through because your big brothers look out for you. They, you know, y'all just take place. So you always are kind of have this... Um, reverence when you see the big bro. So when I saw you, all of those emotions came in that moment. But I was like, yo, Goey's in Harlem? Right. And then I was just mad happy. And then we connected and realized that 
uh, um, Boomy, uh, we had a mutual connection through Boomy's dad, which was um, May Rest in Peace. Yeah. Rest in Peace, Tunde, who's a longtime family friend. I had never met Boomy, though, but I had always heard of him. Because wow. Harlem is a place where everybody know of each other and know each other well, but probably didn't meet. Because all your, everybody talks about each other's kids and neighbors. Like, it's just a very small community. For sure. And um, when, you know, Tunde's funeral lets you know how impactful he was in Harlem. Because that was a major funeral. Never seen we anything. That wasn't just I've no, never seen anything like it again. That was amazing. Yeah. I never seen the. I can't. We can't even just like talk about the magnitude no. during this conversation because I don't right. think we could paint the proper picture. It was really. Did you hear that? Paint the proper picture. So, <laughs> but uh, it was it was it was something to behold. I'm glad I was there, not only for support, but I'm glad I was personally there to be able to see something like that. I would rate that with anyone who might have been at like maybe a Dr. King's funeral. I mean, it was of that magnitude to me. Maybe people don't think it was as significant, but it was as significant to me and the people that were there. And I'll tell you what, bro, it's how significant. Can you hear me? I'm, I definitely can. Oh, how significant it was is that what people don't realize is uh, Tunde's funeral, like in Harlem, we revere our icons and our elders in a way that the funerals are more like celebration, and we—we we, it was in the street, and it, it was like a march all the way to the Black National Theater where he was so impactful. But let me tell you who else some people, so people can understand, uh, Tunde Samuels, Samuels, the impact he had on the community. Harlem, we also did that for um, Dr. John Henry Clark. And that was my man. Right, <laughs> right. So for those who know. Anything about about black culture and our elders, Dr. John Henry Clark is on the Mount Everest of black scholars. Harlem gave him that kind of... So, in general, to be at a... It wasn't like we just ran into each other. We ran into each other in a, in a setting that was uh, monumental and, um, and, and awe-inspiring. And then we were connected because we're milk. And in that setting, only you and I of the thousands of people that were out there had this unique experience called Milton Hershey. So that was the dichotomy of that. More especially, here's what I feel like is the energies and how things are supposed to happen because if I don't sit next to you in that church, we don't see each other because when it was just too many people outside. Right. We never never make that connection and nor do I know we ever talk about it again. It's true. Right. That's actually, you know, nothing happens by mistake. Everything happens for a reason. So, break. I mean, break. I always break and wreck. Break, wreck. Look nothing alike. But because it's funny, is I think we we all were together in a photograph. I don't know if I shared that with you, me, you, and break, like many many years ago. And I was like, how did me wreck and break wind up in the same photograph? What is (laughs) thirty plus years ago? And I was looking at it, and I was just like, man, this is nostalgia right here. And we were smiling like we won the sweepstakes. I don't know what happened, but it was it was one of those moments. I, I found that picture. I sent it out. And, you know, I think we may try and do something with photographs where we can, you know, share some moments. And maybe we can request from people that are listening to 
send us some nostalgic photographs so that we can try and include them, you know, in the podcast. I think that I, I think it'll add a little bit more salt and pepper to what we're doing. That's flavor for salt and pepper, you know. <laughs> so, a gully wants salt and pepper, you know. But <laughs> you know, it's just one of them things, Rick. I feel like you know we could do a, a lot with those things and, and pr- probably tell some more great stories. Rick, I'm going to jump off because I, I, it's not that I want to stop. I just have to. And I'm, a, yeah, I'm probably going to put JB back on. And But I, listen, I appreciate the moments. I, I want to speak to you. I know we always get offline and do certain things. So I look forward to those moments, bro. All right. No doubt. I love you, bro. Love you appreciate back. You. All right. Peace. Yeah. You there? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. All right. So listen, you know. Unfortunately, we're coming. We're getting short on time here, so I'm, I'm just really happy that we was able to get you on and, and, and talk to you a little bit. Um, I had mentioned to you before that in a perfect world we'd have you coming on as a regular uh, a guest of ours. So you know, if it's good with you, we'd love to have you back. This is only our fourth one. Um, you know, we, we only talked to a couple people, and we're going to be doing some more interviews, but. Again, in the perfect world, we have you back on a regular basis. We got so many more stories. We, you know, uh, I just want to take a minute. Can you tell the people where they can find the information about your foundation? Um, you know, I, I know we talked about on social media. You'll put up stuff every now and then, and, and there could be more support for it. Is what I'm saying. So, could you just give us the information for uh, the foundation? All right, cool. So, um, our website is www the timefoundation.org that's the time t-y-m-e foundation.org um, people can go there and donate um, you can also go and see you know uh, our mission statement and see what we're about mm-hmm. uh, that you can get in contact our contact information is there um, what we do is we service the community uh, trying to help our young men specifically but our young people in general um, we're now going into the schools. Our foundation is now transforming from an after-school program to an in-school operation um, to be used as an elective, as an intervention piece. Um, I also do um, uh, guest speaking. Um, I also work with Sandy Hook Promise uh, organization, so I go around the country doing lectures mm-hmm. on anti-bullying, so all of that is tied into my Time Foundation company. I also train the young boys who were in my program and now the young men that help run it. Mm-hmm. So this is the work we're doing. And at, at the heart, I'm still an artist. So I, I still have a toe in the game. Mm-hmm. So I'll still audition and still working to get myself back into shape to start doing more theater, possibly auditioning more. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly raising my children, take care of my family, my lady, and um, just continuing to do God's work. So, yeah, good looking, man. Appreciate the shout out. Man, it was fun. Thanks so much yeah, for I mean, coming on, Rick. You know, uh, we love you. You already know that, and your family. And um, we're proud of the work that you're doing. You're giving back. Um, you know, you're always going to be a milk, and that's the connection that we all have. And, 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 uh, Tell the family we said what's up, and we're going to talk to you soon. All right, good brother? All right, man. Love you, too. Peace. You know you just fucked up, right? Fucked up, right? Fucked up, right? Fucked up, right? Fucked up, right?
Fuck that right.